You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, good morning, welcome. Assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum, and joining me shortly will be Brother Shahil. And as usual, we'll be back. Uh, we are back uh, with uh, some interesting topics that we're going to be talking about. For the next two hours, we're going to be talking about what's been happening in the newspapers, what's happening in and around the United Kingdom and around the world. We're going to be talking about uh, some interesting topics from 7.30 onwards. We're going to be talking about ladies in waiting. We're going to, talk, we're going to be talking about uh, how uh, Queen Consort is making changes um, in the way um, her office, I suppose, is being run and she's making changes um, uh, and and uh, in in essence, I think uh, bringing the system up to date, um, some progressive moves, changing the way things were being done in the past. That's what we're going to be talking about from uh, seven thirty onwards till eight o'clock. After the news, we're going to be talking about can a three hundred year old museum be the key to feeding the world? We're going to be talking about how scientists. Um, have combined uh, through 12,000 specimens of wheat uh, and its relatives uh, held in the Natural History Museum's archives. That's a topic we're going to be talking about after the 8 o'clock news. We would love to hear from you um, if you want to join into any of these topics. If you have a comment, uh, give us a call 0208 687 7878 um, or you can join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Or you can email us via our website, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. But let's have a look at what's happening with the weather. Um, today is expected to be rather cloudy and damp. There will be overcast skies for much of the day with outbreaks of light rain and drizzle. Winds will be gentle and tonight it will continue to be overcast. It will turn rather dry uh, in the early hours. There will be few spots of light rain developing. Winds will increase towards Dawn, that's in and around London. For our northern brothers or Midlands or however you want to call it, uh, you're looking at more or less more or less the same, but there will be um, overcast skies for much of the day. Um, similar, your gentle winds, but tonight it's going to be dry. Um, let's see what the temperature is saying in and around Manchester, uh, Altrincham, Liverpool, Crosby, Wigan, Southport, Hebden Bridge. Your average temperatures for the day are likely to be around 5. Um, for our northern brothers in Scotland, you're looking at around 4 in Stirling, Dunfermline, Edinburgh is 5. Your weather is likely to be a little bit different. Today it's going to be dry in many places, spells of winter sunshine, just a few patches of cloud around. Northern areas will have few scattered showers throughout the day. Uh, this evening mostly cloudy with dry, uh, most, most, sorry, mostly cloudy with further showers in the coastal areas in the north and west. Um, going uh, um, towards Wales, um, in and around Cardiff, ooh, a better day, Swansea, Cardiff, Bridgend. Um, Pontypridd, you're looking at more 9 and 10 degrees. Uh, Chepstow, uh, Bristol, 7 to 8 degrees. Your temperatures are looking much better for the United Kingdom. Um, you know, you will have more clearer spells um, and, uh, um, you know, the winds will increase and it will turn cloudy and wet towards dawn in this evening. Looking at Belfast, um, Bellamina, you're, you're looking at around 3 to 4 um, that's the weather uh, for the day and the reason I'm covering United Kingdom because Voice of Islam is 
uh, and all and uh, and will continue to be um, broadcast in and around UK. DAB is uh, well, our coverage is increasing. We are um, uh, we are on uh, available on DAB uh, more and more across UK around the northern areas around um, uh, the, the the Midlands. Um, in in uh, well mostly covering most of United Kingdom and uh, and of course uh, we can be heard uh, on the internet um, and we know that uh, you know around 44 minimum 44 countries around the world we are being heard um, people have uh, been tuning in to Voice of Islam and and of course we have our app you can download our app which means you can hear us anywhere in the world um, you can carry us on your phone and uh, choose to listen to us as and when you please. And we also are available on SoundCloud. So if there's any program you missed or if there's a topic you want to listen um, um, listen to or if you want to see what is the Islamic perspective on a certain topic that comes to mind, feel free to go on to SoundCloud and Voice of Islam and you will be able to hear programs um, You know where we challenge um, most common uh, misconceptions that the mainstream media kind of throws at us. Um, you know, one of the reasons why Voice of Islam was set up by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Muhammad the Fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, was to ensure that we give a true perspective, uh, a more just perspective, a more unified perspective um, of how beautiful and peaceful the true teachings of Islam um, is. And that's what we're going to be doing today for the next two hours. Um, we're going to take a very quick break. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with Thursday morning with myself, Kayum, and brother Shahil. Um, when we come back, we're going to go and have a look at what the newspapers have been saying. Um, and uh, and then we will go on to our uh, normal segments of the morning. So do stay tuned. Grab yourself a cup of coffee um, or some breakfast, as I always say. You know, And if you're around the corner, feel free to pop in and uh, and uh, drop it off to me. Um, I'm, you know, I never say no to some breakfast. Um, so, but uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after some brief messages. Storm clouds forwarding us of a third world war are getting heavier by the day. The effects of such a war would last for decades to come. Generation after generation of children would more than likely be born crippled or with genetic uh, defects due to the lasting effect of the radiation. Thus, it is the urgent need of the time for mankind to work towards safeguarding our future. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Breakfast Show Thursday morning with myself, Kayyum, and Brother Shahil on Voice of Islam. Um, so, good morning. Peace be on you, Brother Shahil. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm always good. That's good. As you can as you can hear, yes. I'm always, buzz- always, always, always buzzing, man. you got to be buzzing. <laughs> yeah, look. Life is beautiful, man. You yeah, it, you know? Let's have a, let's see if if life is beautiful for the papers in the, <laughs> in the morning. Uh, the fallout from two consecutive days of uh, national health strike action preoccupies the front pages. 
The Daily Mirror has uh, accused the government of crippling the health service by responding to demands for pay negotiations with a deadly silence. Under photos of a smiling uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the Health Secretary Steve Barclay, the paper accuses ministers of prolonging the walkouts by refusing to talk pay with ambulance crews and nurses. Um, I think the Daily Star did the best one where they, the headline is missing. Uh, missing and uh, it says that as the whole country goes on strike and our energy just crumbles before our own eyes we seem to have lost our prime minister um, th- there seems to be this silence uh, from the, the the highest office uh, in in the land uh, they say that uh, anyone uh, anyone who spots mr sunak to tell him that now would be a good time to pull his finger out and fix things the guardian's political editor pippa carrera uh, says it uh, seems Mr. Sunak is trying to use the strikes as an opportunity to prove his detractors wrong by facing down the unions to show he is not weak. But she writes, with more than 1.5 million workers balloting for strike action this winter, it is proving to be a risk strategy. Uh, one thing I do want to point out, um, as even though the ambulance workers were on strike, a lot of the ambulance uh, drivers, and I want to take my hat off, and, and more than... Uh, uh, more than uh, you know, just just give them uh, you know uh, a clap. A clap. A you know, clap. I I want to say thank you for your service. I want to say, you know, a lot of these drivers they broke picket um, mm. because there were some emergencies that needed to be attended to, and they actually went and took the took the uh, the ambulances to uh, wherever they were needed. And may God bless you for all the work you do, and may uh, God reward you for all your efforts in in looking after. The public. This is not a, an, an easy job. People always think an um, ambulance driver is just a driver. They're not. Ambulance drivers are a very, very key um, uh, uh, personnel and part and parcel of our NHS service. No, that's not true. I mean, if you look like, especially in the health service, every one of them who's working there in different variety, they are very important to us. Of course. And uh, it is difficult. I mean, the, where Britain is right now, and the situation is very difficult, and uh, it's disturbing as well. But I just hope we can only pray that it comes to an end, and everyone's wishes will be heard by God, and of course by Prime Minister as well. Of course, um, I mean, fears that thousands of people are unwell and struggling at home after giving up um, on calling on ambulance on Wednesdays, which was yesterday. Um, of course, um, the, the, you know the, the health service has said that the response today and the uh, and the result of the strike is going to be overwhelming. Workers going to demand is going to be increasing today, and and they're going to be coping. Um, they know their job. Um, I think the point here is: do the politicians know their job? We know what the NHS workers do. We know what the nurses need to do. We know what the doctors need to do. We know the ambulance drivers, what they need to mm. do, the care workers, you name it, we know what they need to do. Um, my, you know, my uh, only criticism is to 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 blame uh, the, this this notion that the doctors are to blame and the nurses are to blame if somebody was to, God forbid, die. Is their fault? It's not. The decision makers, the one who governs, um, is responsible. I gave this example yesterday of uh, Caliph Omar. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. That uh, when he used to go out on his, um, when he was uh, the caliph of, uh, um, when he was the caliph in Arabia, he was he he used to go out in at night to see 
um, you know, how his people were living and when he came across this lady where her child was crying and and, uh, he inquired why. Um, why the child was crying and uh, the, the, the lady talked about how they had no food and uh, she wasn't very nice about the caliph at that time she wasn't aware that it was Caliph Umar who was asking and he felt so aggrieved that under his rule there was a child and a woman who was going hungry that he went back to the stockyards and he picked up grain and he loaded it onto himself and the, his companion you asked know, him like, like he, he asked it. him again and again let me carry it for you O caliph and he says well on the day of judgment will you be carrying my burden then too mm. and and that kind of is self-explanatory i mean uh, the prophet has said that uh, a leader is the servant of his country yes and this is a very great example and in the end you know what the community has taught me since i'm a child is to volunteer and not to ask for anything more mm. and uh, to help other people as well if they can't if they are if they even if they're ready to help but they can't in the moment to volunteer for them to, and to help them this is what you know this is what religion and the community has taught me as well um, to volunteer not to ask for more but i think um you know I, i'm not blaming anyone here i just want to say that sometimes um of course sometimes you wish won't be granted right next moment sometimes you have to show patience as well but as i said islam also taught me to volunteer as well especially if it comes for the service of mankind you know you gave the example of umar i always gave the example of tolib prophet sallallahu an old woman an old lady he, she used to throw her own thrash on the tolib prophet sallallahu mm-hmm. many times and he never did anything he never replied one day she didn't do that and he was very surprised and he asked he inquired about her by someone and he said she's very ill and um, she is like suffering and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he went to see peace her peace and blessings of allah be upon him peace and blessings of allah he went to see her and he th- he found out that she's living herself uh, she's living uh, between filth and trash as well and she, so what he did is he cleaned up her house he looked after her as well and make sure she got healthy again and this is like you know one example again of service to mankind as well if it comes to service to mankind we should volunteer if we have to volunteer show patience um because you know being a religious community we know that Allah will give the reward as well and what we can do is to pray for other people as well for like for example for the government whoever it is that they understand the pain as well of the reason i mean you know health workers they're doing it for a reason i understand that as well they want to help us but right now they are in a pressure where they have to come out and they looking for a conclusion as well they're looking for an answer and the answer they're looking for is that they will be that they wishes will be, should be granted as well well see the fact that nurses have never ever been on strike never i ever. know never that alone is reason enough to say well hold on that these nurses who have never ever been on strike before they're going on strike now my my only concern is that there is a time to stop playing politics mm. because this is affecting people's lives a lot and 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 the politicians need to uh, kind of need to take a step back look in the mirror and say look we shouldn't play politics let's sit down I'm, we're not saying go and give them what they ask 
at least sit down and talk to them about the issue. Mm. No point saying, I'm going to sit down, but I'm not going to talk about the main issue. I'm willing to sit down, but I'm not going to talk about the main issue. The issue is that they would like to earn enough where they don't need, to, when it, that they can feed their children. That they don't need to access uh, food mm, banks. Exactly, exactly. I understand. And this is very, you if, know, if they can eat, I know they'll be in a good mindset. If they're in a good mindset, they'll be able to serve better. Common sense. I don't understand that. I don't, totally, I'm agree with that. I mean, you know what? Like, really shocked me is when uh, nurses advised the society that on Christmas holidays don't do anything unhealthy. Yeah. And uh, you know, in what situation we are right now as, as a country, and this is you know. This is very painful, this worrying as well. And um, you said, you're right, basically, come forward, sit together. And I'm sure if you talk to each other, you will come to a conclusion. Yes. You sure they they, they did in Scotland. In Scotland, the nurses, the government sat down with them and they found middle ground. So the, the nurses didn't go on strike in, in Scotland because they got a, an increase and they got um, assurances for the coming years. And the nurses said, yes, fine, at least you've sat down, you've, you've had a mm. conversation. Here, that hard-headedness about how, you know, you would listen to us. People forget. Um, even politicians sometimes forget. They're public servants. Exactly, yeah. They are there to serve the public. Public servants. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I said. Like, yeah. this is basically everything. If you're in a service for the public, if it comes to human humanity or any creature, I think in that moment you should forget your own right, you should think for the other first. I mean, this is what Islam is telling us. All the way, I mean, I'm, t- I'm sorry, I'm talking from Islamic perspective. No, no, it's, 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 it's the Holy Prophet. That's the most important aspect of aspect. it because Islam is a way of life. Islam is not just, you know, we don't, it's a deen. Deen means way of life. Mm. It's not, you know, a, a, it's, of course, it's a faith, it's a religion, but it is, it, it is so broad and the, the, the horizons of Islam are so wide. That it can encompass it encompasses your entire life, the way you live, within it, and 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 of course, you know, to to uh, you know, it's uh, all aspects of living, um, and uh, and and challenges that you face. Uh, there there are remedies and solutions available in in the Islamic way of life. You know, like um, I'm very grateful, still very grateful for the this great government, for this great country. But and I, I think I'm sure, pretty sure. Rishi Sunak has this reason for hesitating or not coming uh, coming to them or not sitting down with them. But he says it will increase inflation more. I know he won't. But then the, if, if that is the case, then how is it that money is available for the bankers? You see, this is the thing. You can't say give money to someone else, and but then it's not available here. You're giving money to people who already have money. But the people... That, he has, maybe he has a reason for it. We don't know... I I just want him to listen to these people, to the nurses, to the social workers as well, to the teachers as well, to any you know because we have so many strikes now in the UK. This is amazing. Mm. I mean, people unfortunately are laughing about Great Britain from the outside. If you look at the other newspapers, how they pre- presenting this that how yeah, Snark is governing and how this country is, which way this country is going basically. It is for them. It is just entertainment. What's happening right now here in the UK? It is, and um, that's why I just want him, you know, to come out of to listen to them first. I'm pretty sure, you know, as you said, f- they will find a middle ground if they just 
start talking, start listening as well. And one very important thing is that you need to bring out your ego, put it aside, and just think that you, for you know, as the prophet said, think for your brother the same thing what you want for yourself. Please help, without a doubt. Um, just to finishing off what the papers, uh, others are talking about, uh, the Daily Mail has a front page picture of uh, Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky meeting U.S. President Joe Biden um, at the White House. Um, the the Times has Washington rolled out the red carpet for Mr. Zelensky. Um, and uh, this was, uh, according to Telegraph, Ukrainian President Churchill moment. His speech to Congress echoing the wartime leader's Christmas address in 1941. There are different times, um, but um, a war is war, um, and uh, one hopes and prays uh, that, uh, that that the, the, the international leaders as well as our national leaders uh, listen to some of the the the, the addresses that His Holiness Hazrat Muhammad the Fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, may Allah strengthen his hand, has given over the past 20 odd years. Over the past 19 years, in different peace symposium, on Friday sermons, um, on different on different uh, venues at different times, where he has highlighted, um, uh, you know, not to do what leaders are doing at the moment, uh, because uh, you know we are living in a very fragmented world at the moment. Uh, the world is breaking up. Blocks are being created. Countries are looking for. Uh, looking out just for themselves, it has become a me, myself, and I equation, um, and uh, that can only lead to disaster. Finally, the time describes new research suggesting people who struggle to meet NHS guidelines on daily exercise. Um, they are, uh, you know, um, if if they're not uh, walking for at least eleven minutes a, a day, um, they are walking towards. Uh, um, you know, a health, uh, a health deficit. Um, that uh, you know, the 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 we are at that time of the year in that season where people eat uh, Christmas. That time mm-hmm. where there's a lot of sweets, there's a lot of food, family there's less together, exercise, family gathering. Uh, a lot of people sit at home. There's no walking. There's no going gym. Everything seems to be closed. People want to be, you know, in in the culture we live in, they tend to drink as well. And you know, no matter which. Um, um, no, no, no matter which uh, 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 culture or community you come from, it's that time of year where people tend to become a bit more sedentary. Um, and uh, the, the warning is that um, you know people need to not forget the the, the physical activity side of your your daily life. Uh, if you are going to eat, you need to burn. That's that's important. Um, uh, I mean, sorry. Uh, Coming back to Islamic perspective, even the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, you know, after the morning prayers he would go for a walk as well. But physical exercise is always important. Um, I know one someone, one of my colleague, he started doing bicycling, and he said since he's doing it, it for him is like he he's think, saying that he feels like he's ten years younger, and he's almost forty years old. So yeah, you you make forty sound really old, right? Right? No, but I mean. I, uh, right, sorry. Uh, he is very young. <laughs> He's forty years young. Uh, yeah, that's better. <laughs> and uh, um, so he's saying that keeping that since he's keeping himself active, active for a long time, he f- feels better and f- life has become easier for him. You know, those tasks which he said, "Oh, I will do it 
later he can do it right now because he has this energy which is needed. Uh, talking about exercise, yesterday the BBC Sports Personality of the Year is a personal opinion. Uh, Beth Mead won it, the captain, I think, of the uh, English England football, no England's football team, who won the European. They won the European Cup, the women's European. Or Cup. European, yeah. Because, and I think again, it's a personal opinion. I think we were robbed. I think Ben Stokes, the English cricket team, should have won the personality. They won the World Cup, not the European Cup, not the local cup, not mm. this cup, that cup. They won the World Cup. So, so it's equivalent to what Argentina did in football. England did it in cricket. Yet they they don't they don't get the the the, the you know they don't get the accolade. Mm. I mean, you know. Yes, women are the best in Europe, but they're not best in the world. England cricketers are the best in the world. You know, Ben Stokes is the cricketer who Messi is in the football world. Ben Stokes achieved that. And I think we were robbed. I think cricket needs to be given that much more importance. It's disciplined sport. And, and uh, you know, th- I don't think people realize... People realize you know the the, the what the, the English team has achieved, and again, I think um, th- that uh, Ben Stokes and the, our cricket boys were were robbed by getting second place. Now, of course, cr- I should have won it. Cricket is uh, it's a gentleman's sport. It's a gentleman's sport. Although, although I've never watched any game though, but maybe I will start soon. But yeah, um, but it's a huge you know huge achievement for the for the English Football Association as well to win the cup. Um, and this shows that the women are much better than than men in football. I just wanted to highlight this as well. I, I'm, I'm, thank, I'm very thankful and grateful for your comments on this, uh, Brother <laughs> Shahil. You are a German supporter, so it's uh, <laughs> it's nice to hear something good yeah. coming from a German yeah, fan. Sure. Uh, but with that, uh, we're going to take a very quick break because we're going to, when we come back, we're going to go on to our first segment. Of the morning, it is about ladies in waiting, about the changes the Queen Consort is making in and around uh, her office. Uh, So do stay tuned. As I always say, grab yourself a cup of coffee, some biscuits um, or some toast. Um, I prefer, you know, a bit of honey honey or jam. What's your your preference? Uh, Honey. Honey. Yes. Ah, You see, the health health thing is there. Uh, Do stay tuned. We'll be right back after some brief messages. Al-Qadr. The powerful, the one who has both power and authority over all his creatures. It is Allah who created you in a state of weakness, and after weakness gave strength. Then after strength caused weakness and old age. He creates what he pleases. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful. Storm clouds forwarding us of a third world war are getting heavier by the day. The effects of such a war would last for decades to come. Generation after generation of children would more than likely be born crippled or with genetic defects due to the lasting effect of the radiation. Thus, it is the urgent need of the time for mankind to work towards safeguarding our future. A new station. The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. 
Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayyum, and Brother Shahil. Going on to the first topic of the morning, what is, which is ladies in waiting to become Queen's Companions. Um, Brother Shahil, what's the gist of this story here? So, dear listeners, the gist is that Queen Consort Camilla is and en- and ending the tradition of having ladies in waiting. Rather, they will be Queen Companions. She says, further change include less regular attendance than in the previous role required and no requirement in correspondence and administration. By ending the role of ladies-in-waiting, it depicts the end of court life going back to the Middle Ages. The woman often comes from astrotic families. Aristotic families. So this is the gist of the story. Now... So basically, aristocratic families, meaning royalty and people of nobility or or supposed nobility within yeah. within the within the, the the you know the royal circles. Um, so uh, you know, a lady in waiting um, or court lady is a female person. So it's a PA at court, a personal assistant. Are you um, right with that? Attending attending on a, um, on a royal uh, woman or a high-ranking noblewoman. Uh, historically, in Europe, lady-in-waiting was often a noble woman, but of lower rank than the woman to whom she attended. The office of lady-in-waiting originated during the Middle Ages as a consequence of the growth and the proliferation of queenly households, believed only those of elevated status should engage in physical contact and close relationships with a monarch. Thus, ladies-in-waiting became the women of noble birth. In addition, they were required to be married. Uh, the office of maid of honor also emerged during this this time, and it was held by unmarried women. Ladies in waiting were appointed because of their social status uh, as members of the nobility on the recommendation of court officials or other prominent citizens, and because they were expected to be supporters of the royal family due to their own family relations. And and in the olden days, you know, I mean, wars were. Uh, were avoided and, mm. and, and marriages are, were arranged across different countries. So when the queen, and and very often the queen was uh, from foreign lands, um, but when the queen was not a foreigner, um, she um, or, or whoever the queen at the time was would appoint her own um, family relations um, uh, would be appointed as, of course, understandably, uh, they were presumed to be more trustworthy and loyal. Um there is no salary um, for for these posts because they are coming from, um, as we talked about it, uh, you know, aristocrat mm. um, backgrounds and 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 and, uh, and the circles. Uh, they don't have financial issues or burdens. Um, they have wealth. So, um, although the position of lady in waiting is a coveted one, it is not one that earns a salary. Um, as I said, because they don't need the money. In fact. It's a coveted position given to the wives of aristocrats and considered a huge honor. Um, and the most recent example of that would be Lady uh, Susan Hussey, who was involved in that, uh, um, you know, racism row. Um, oh. um, you know, and she was the late Queen's Lady in Waiting. Um, but in reality, she was more of a friend to the Queen than an employee. And I think a lot of these terms of Lady in Waiting and Maid in Honor and blah, 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 and all that, basically, they were companions of the, the queen, queen. Um, where the queen could maybe go to for um, you know advice or to have a, because you have to bear in mind in, I suppose in these roles you become a prisoner I mean I mean one thing I, I kind of admired and 
and and I always, you know, if you think about it, you must respect that the Queen was a Queen for so many years, for decades, more than half a century. Yeah. And she kept quiet about her political opinions, her personal opinions. We live in a day and age where everyone's got an opinion. They can't shut their mouth for a few seconds. And this lady stayed quiet. She stayed quiet. She stayed quiet and she kept the decorum. She kept um, in accordance with the tradition. Uh, um, and, and in fact, she kept um, and she honored the, the, the role um, of Queen of being impartial and to keep her uh, political opinions and her personal opinions on 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 just about everything behind behind closed doors. So so, but obviously, as human beings, you must need one. You must have the need to want to share your opinion. I think you know, as a like royal family, royal member, you are basically allowed to be a part, like to have you to show your opinion towards politicians' matters. And the queen, she was someone. Who would follow the rule and the law as well, and this yeah. is you know very amazing to know that there is basically a ruler, and that ruler is not making only the rules but also showing how to act upon those rules as well. And uh, she, as you said, she has been the queen for m- more than half a century, and yeah. what she has done during this these decades it is amazing. I mean, she has left an example. And that example is basically so good for the whole United Kingdom because, you know, as a foreigner, when you think about the United Kingdom, the first thing which always comes to your mind is the royal family. And still, it is a queen which will come into your mind. Even now, I just mentioned the United Kingdom and the queen picture came into my mind. So this is the respect she has not only made here in, in, in this kingdom, but also outside Europe. And this is pretty much needed for the United Kingdom as well, especially when she became the queen. She became the queen right after the Second World War, which was a very difficult time for her whole Europe. And the way she has dealt with everything is amazing. It's it's historical as well. And she she left the legacy. And the way she has also dealt with certain politicians, the way the respect she gave to certain people is also amazing. And that she has kept everything for herself, not even, even your... The way, she, like sometimes you can see from the frustration of from the happiness of a person, how she, she or he feels about certain people or about certain politicians, etc. But with that, you couldn't even you couldn't find out anything from her. So the way she has dealt with politicians with political matters is amazing, and um, I think this is very important because you know if you have a running governing bodies running independently. She knows when she would interfere, it would bring more. Uh, I mean, it would bring a bit uh, disturbance as well. She keep everything for herself. But I'm pretty sure that if you needed help, I mean, she she was experienced. Like she's a ruler of the United Kingdom. She was so much experienced. If someone needed help, any politician, I'm pretty sure they would go to her and she would advise them very nicely and very wisely. And uh, you know, this this is. Uh this is the changes that Queen Consort uh, Camilla is uh, is bringing in, and she's actually ending a very, very long uh, t- tradition of centuries. I know um, by by um, you know eliminating this uh, ladies in waiting concept. Um, she's actually going to be uh, having more companions, which I suppose is more relevant, is more understandable. 
Um, companions would be someone who accompany her, who are her advisors, who are normally her friends, who normally she kind of um, um, she has an open um, and a trustworthy relationship with, relation with, um, who is within her circles of of uh, of people who she can talk to. I know. I mean, you know, uh, I mean that's what a companion is. This is, this is like you know. Um L- uh, listening to advisors, even the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, he w- yeah. he would listen to advice when his wife would give him advice, right? mm. and it's not like he would ignore it. But no, he would listen and he would even act upon that as well. It happened many many times, you know. When, uh, for example, when first revelation came to him, mm. the first person he told about that incident, what happened in the Montira, was his wife. Mm. And she advised him, listen, first of all, she motivated him to listen, you are such a nice person, you look after the people, after the neighbors, after those people need. God will never forsaken you. And then she advised him that, listen, I've got a cousin, and some revelation, this meant that that person is her uncle. Anyway, she asked him to go and visit one of his relatives, Arvodka bin Nofel, and uh, he... He wasn't a Muslim, was he? No, he wasn't a Muslim. He, was, Islam of Ju- wasn't the, he was of Jewish faith. Yes. Yeah. And um, he he listened to her advice, and uh, because you know that advice helped him as well. And you need to remember, this was the first moment of Islam as well, and mm. he needed some support, and the support he became was basically his wife. And this is, you know, Allah basically made us realize that women can help as well they can give good advice as well that's why Islam has put like status of woman is very high and even you know Islam has said if you want to have to, if you want you, to w- you wouldn't think so the way things get portrayed in the media but uh, you're you know this is Western, this is like uh, the media because propaganda media want, uh, proper propaganda and this is unfortunately very sad I mean l- l- late late in a few days after that what happened during the World Cup and after the World Cup and how they portrayed this society it is very sad and it is richly propaganda if people want to learn more about Islam you know there are so many people on social media who basically explain everything you know people like western people who went like in the to Qatar as well and saw how women were treated as well listeners dear listeners do not listen to what the media is saying go and find out on social media when people actually were there and what they have seen because you don't need this propaganda it's just bringing up hatred it's uh, Islamophobia Islamophobia in uh, within within the Western media, mainstream media, they they always have to have some kind of phobia. I mean, and, yeah. and for the past few decades, uh, Islamophobia has been, you know, the 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 name of the game. Um, you know, they they pick and choose, and yeah. you can't pick and choose. You know, that's the problem. If you're going to be picking up on a cause, then then you need to kind of cover the cause across the board, not cherry pick bits which suit your needs. You know, it's like with the way the football pundits, um, you know, that they kind of embarrass. Personally, I think they embarrass themselves um, over over you know um, over the past uh, season of the footballing um, um, occasion, where you know certain channels refuse to uh, show the opening and the closing ceremony. And, I know, and, and you know, it's whereas in America and around the world, everyone saw it, um, but then you know they they chose not to show. Um, you know the Danish and the German and the French media um, uh, outlets who were openly racist towards the the Qatari teams, and they were being portrayed as um, terrorists and monkeys. Uh, and then the French players who lost the final, the media, the social media in France is calling them monkeys and giving them racial abuse. 
What, what, what about do these people don't have don't they have human rights? But this is the thing, you know. From, uh, all, everything's propaganda just to make more money or bring more people in front of the television because they knew people will listen to that. I mean, because of that way they have portrayed everything, people have got, gone so mad against Qatar, against, against the country, you know, who is just welcoming everyone to a homeland to, to see them how it is. And people basically enjoy it. If you, I mean, I've seen it. In I don't know anybody who didn't enjoy it. I think, I don't know, any, I mean, ladies over there said we feel very safe because alcohol is forbidden and people are drinking alcohol, so they're behaving. Mm. And this is very And as you say, it's an Islamic country and the status of a woman in Islam is of, of, of a very high standard. It is, it is. I mean, uh, to be honest, if you, Islam, God says in the Holy Quran that men and women are equal, but if you look what Holy Prophet advises us in regards of a woman, sometimes it's like women have more rights. Because he has so many said so many good things about that. Uh, for example, he, he, the most important thing obviously in the society is knowledge. What well, the most important thing I think is that he gave rights, equal rights to women fourteen hundred years ago, yeah. which the West, in the modern progressive West, are still fighting for. They're still fighting. They're for. still fighting for it, and they are looking for rights from man. <laughs> so they will always be one step behind. Whereas God, the Holy Prophet. He said the man and woman are equal in the eyes of God. God gave yeah, them equal rights. The same. Yeah. Not man. Whereas in the West, they, they, they don't seem to understand this narrative that they're, they're, they're running after men to get equal rights. Well, you're not going to get it. And even if you do get it, that means it will always be written that the man gave you equal rights. Whereas the beauty of Islam and the, the high accolade that the women hold and the status that hold in, in Islam is that it was it was it was something that was given by God Almighty fourteen hundred years ago, and I'm talking about rights of divorce, owning of property, voting. The West always talks about nineteen twenty eight. The suffragettes, yes, the suffragettes did do a lot for the West. I know. I mean, that's that's, that's what Islam is basically. Islam was developed from in the beginning. All right, because you know the thing is, um, Islam was a religion who basically built up. The society in Arab as well, and uh, to build up the society, the Prophet peace be upon him. What he did is he gave rights to women and to slaves as well, because with them, you know, you can't build up a society without women. Mm. And this is what the Prophet peace be upon him made them understand as well that listen, if you want to prosper as a society, as a country as well, then give them the rights they need. And this is what they did. Um, for example, a few days, just a few days uh, ago, the Taliban, they, they forbid women to go to university to study. Which has got nothing to do nothing with Islam. Islam. I mean, the Prophet said that it is obligatory to man and woman to gain knowledge. Yep. And uh, if you have to travel to China, you must go and seek knowledge. And, and remember, this was said when it took months, if not years, to travel to China from Arabia. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, and so so this 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 notion that uh, again media picks up on it, they call them the Taliban, the Islamist. No, nothing to do with Islam. That is an Afghan mindset. Um, it's 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 a primitive mindset. It's a religion mindset. Yes, it's it's you know it's 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 a uh, it's in Islam there is no place for such such notion because there's no rationality and there's no um, um, you know there's no logic behind stopping somebody from getting educated. I mean, Fatma al-Fihri is such a beautiful and such a well-known name. Yes, person from Fez in, in Morocco. Yes. The university is still there. In 826, I think it was, um, in the 8th century, in, uh, or the 9th century, 
in the ninth century, this this uh, the, the, the the first university that was ever established. And if you and look, how many people b- by a Muslim woman? What, what I mean, who ever studied? If you looked at the names who have studied in that university, Yus Ibn Arabi, mm. and then even uh, Christian scholars have studied in that university as well. And she she was a teacher as well, and yeah. she's, she she gave the knowledge to these people as well. She was so highly res- she is highly respected. I mean. Islam, you know, in the beginning, as I said, Islam says from the beginning on, Islam has said that a woman has the right. I mean, the Prophet, for example, he said that, you know, your wife is someone who sits on, on a chair and the husband is someone who's carrying around the chair. Like, she mm. is the queen of the all. And she has, uh, she's the queen. And um, to even about the salary, um, when husband is earning something he has to share with everyone but if the woman is earning something the husband the man no one is what she earns look it's it's we are not allowed even to have a look on it no what she owns what a what a what a you know is hers what she earns is hers exactly um and and that's there for the protection that's there for 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 security purposes but we are going we i do apologize we have gone off on a tangent and with the the point was about companions and ladies in waiting but the the example brother shahil gave of course was that even um, you know at the time of the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him he had people around him he had companions that you know uh, um um who asked questions um who shared things who who discussed things and if one was to look at prophet jesus prophet jesus had his disciples mm. if one looks at prophet moses he had his team of people who were around him when especially when he was leaving um when when uh, when he was uh, um um uh, moving away from pharaoh when uh, um and you know he, he, there was a, a tr- he, there was a tribe of his own people um, yeah. who who were accompanying him so there was you know it, it's people in in uh, in certain positions of leadership always have um a group of people around them who tend to be their the 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 who act as counsels you know the, um, and advisors this one and like once the prophet was walking and he saw a companion uh he was planting three different uh plants in three different holes and the prophet said why not planting all three in one hole mm. the very next day um the companion came again and he saw the companion doing this like planting three plants in one hole and um obviously um you won't have uh, like they won't gain they won't prosper they will just die mm. and the prophet said why are you doing this and the companion said yes because you said this and I thought okay now it's it's like law mm. islamic law and the prophet said no no listen i'm a prophet yes but you are the farmer you have more knowledge in regard of this but in religious matter i have more knowledge i just ask if it's possible to plant three plants in one hole it's not possible then you should have told me like mm. and god has also said in the holy quran should i bind him to advise come together and to advise on certain things you know to discuss certain things together and this is what the prophet always did as i said he just give you the example that prophet he, in religious matter he had the knowledge but there are people in this surrounding who had done service of, of different kinds and he would ask them what to do in this thing and what to do in this thing he would consult, consult them he would ask them and it doesn't matter which age they were of course they need to be mature as well to good give good advices but he would listen even to youngsters if they so so it's like a consultative process exactly. which is which is actually a, a very uh, um 
um, uh, an important aspect of of the Islamic way of life. And even if one was to look at it, it's mirrored within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, exactly. where we annu- on an annual basis and we have a consultation committee. Mm-hmm. Um, we you know people from all um, um, regions of the country get together. They discuss um, leaders, youth leaders. Um, and and elderly leaders and 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 uh, even women leaders, they get together and they have a consultation um, where you know people have asked or given suggestions on their local venues in their local meetings um, and uh, you know if if uh, um, if they're deemed as relevant um, or or they're deemed as um, beneficial, then they get discussed at the national forum, all based on a consultation. Uh, and, you know, th- that uh, a certain process will need um, to be put in place. And I suppose consultation and, and companions and advisors, they all kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Exactly. I mean, this is very amazing. Like, <clears throat> in the beginning, first you choose two people from your local community. They will go and they will basically present you the whole uh, local community. And then certain things will be discussed in that time in that moment and then they will ask them and the ma- whatever the majority says will will be done so this is something you know this is what Islam is basically uh, basically presented to the world and uh, this is what the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has done and this is what we basically do as well we just follow the practice of the Holy Prophet um, you know this, this is important that to just to understand that in his time the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he has male and female companions and everyone had the right to come and to obviously they would come and they would ask him questions and he would give them certain arguments certain uh, um, devices etc as well but sometimes there were times where he would ask them as well and regardless male or female he would listen to that voices and he would act upon that and he would appreciate that as well you know, there's uh, this very famous uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, Al-Mustashara Mu'taman, that someone who's asked for advice, he's in the position of trust. So trust is very important that whoever is asking you for anything, uh, for, uh, for an advice, etc., remember that he is basically trusting you that you will give him the best advice, what is very suitable for you. So... In this regard, the Holy Prophet peace upon him also trained his companions as well to, uh, to be very trustworthy in this uh, uh, towards the compan- uh, towards the brothers and sisters as well to give the best ever um, answer or best ever advice, which will ha- is very should be very helpful for everyone. And uh, you know, I'm um, um, everywhere you know, if, if everywhere you go, um, you will need these people who can help you, who can advise you. And this is what Islam has basically said. And Islam said there's no shame on asking or help or for help as well. There's basically, it is basically good. And as I said, it's a practice of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the previous prophets as well, that they would ask their companions, the shepherds, etc., how they can do certain things and what they do in certain things. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, and Brother Shahil. The topic we have been talking about is... Um, um, ladies in waiting um, and uh, you know the whole point um, is the Queen Consort of course as Brother Shahil said is 
um, you know, is is part and parcel of that t- of 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 that. Uh, you know, it's there to support the king in in being uh, uh, being the constitutional head of of uh, of, of uh, um, the kingdom of uh, United Kingdom uh, and uh, and all the various posts that uh, that uh, that come along and the titles that come along with that role. And one of the part and parcel of the responsibilities of these people, um, of ladies in waiting or companions, is to 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 ensure and demonstrate that they are loyal, uh, not just to the Queen Concert, uh, but also loyal to the cause uh, and, uh, and the responsibility um, of, of uh, uh, whatever the job of the Queen Consort is. Uh, and, and part and parcel of that loyalty is to, to ensure uh, that uh, the, the, you know, the right consultation is given, correct advice is given, um, and, uh, and, and, and support um, is given um, at challenging times. We are coming up to the hour. Um, we're going to take a quick break, go to the news, and when we come back, we will conclude uh, this topic after uh, the 8 o'clock news. So do stay tuned. Um, as I said, you're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself, Kayyum, and uh, and uh, Shahil. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. The Islam that we know and practice teaches that the love of your country is an essential part of your faith as a Muslim. According to Islam, a person's country is the one in which he lives and from which he derives benefit. And when such a teaching is ingrained in a Muslim's heart and mind, it is impossible for him to think ill or to desire any harm to his country. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Qayyum, and Brother Shahil. Um, Just after the news, we heard uh, this, this little clip of uh, His Holiness, uh, the Fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masood, Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, where he talked about the loyalty to um, loyalty to um, to the nation, uh, and which is ingrained, which is not just a, a suggestion; it is actually the teaching of the Holy Quran, where loyalty to the nation is is part and parcel of the faith, and and and. How we relate this to um, um, this question of companions of the Queen Consort is that this loyalty that uh, that we talk about is paramount and part and parcel of the job of the ladies in waiting or companions or friends um, of uh, of the Queen uh, Consort, and uh, and it's it's actually a very key part um, of, uh, of of a role, but loyalty um, w- within within itself loyal to lo- loyal to family loyalty to employers loyalty to your friends loyalty to your faith loyalty is very very, very important, important isn't it yeah, well, it's very important um, you, um i think you will agree with me that um basically originally we are not from this western society but we are brought up here hmm. uh, we know the language we think in that language we even dream in that language 
and uh, we have love and comp- uh, we have love, love for that country as well. We in every World Cup or in every situation, we will cheer up this country. We will try to help or to serve this country in any any matter. And this is basically the best loyalty we can show. Even though, as I just said in the beginning, we are not be originally not not. Our origins, yes. Origins are from from, from different uh, backgrounds, but still, we have people serving this country in different back, uh, backgrounds. Like we have doctors, nurses, we have politicians, we have uh, c- civil workers as well. We have been like, if, um, um, so you could see that brought up here, but also serving this country or helping this country making better. This is what loyalty means. Uh, and uh, you know to be there at any time at any moment to help and to make sure that country is prospering this is what loyalty actually means um, the prophet of Islam the, the holy prophet peace be upon him this, he's the one basically he engraved that into our hearts you know he can see how much influence he still has on us expanding us that we should be loyal to our country he, the way he, he is being uh, he, the way he was loyal to his country was amazing as well in that time the chief or let's say the politicians at that time they have treated him in the most worst way ever. Um, he, they killed his companions. They waged war against him. But still, um, he never. He, it's not like he said anything uh, in regards of the government or in regards of the country. No, I mean, if the government at that time even came to him and asked for help, he was ready to give him help. He, uh, when they asked for food, he was ready to give him food, and uh, he was basically ready to help different areas of this country to make sure that they are living in uh, they they living in, uh, in safe environment and this is loyalty basically and and you know w- within within the framework of of uh, the topic that we're discussing um you know i suppose queen consort is talking about building a team yeah. um, of companions and 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 one would wonder what would be what what would be the definition of of loyalty within this within this team that she's creating? It would be to encourage. She would she would need people um, who are loyal, but are also in a place where they would encourage her to to best perform um, her work. I mean, and encourage her to do her best. This is, you know you give the example of the second caliph Umar mm. and uh, I give the example of Talib how they have served. Or they have worked, or they have like being ruler, like Umar, being a ruler of this country in that time. He has worked and served his people, his team. Let's say his team. Mm. So he went out first before he said something. He went by himself, showing it, showing them how to do certain things. And this is loyalty, you know, that before you command anything, just show them and just not just stand there. Go and help them as well. If they need help, just be be. You know, as a team, as a teamwork. Teamwork mm. means you work with a team, and uh, you can't just, can't work when you are just standing there. You need to be there working with that team as well, advising them as well as well, but helping them as well. This is what teamwork means, and this is what the Holy Prophet. Uh, this is what the Holy Prophet basically said that a ruler of a country or ruler of anything is basically the servant. So if there is a leader of the team, he is basically the servant of the team, and he should work as well. He should go with, um, uh, as as a role model and show them, uh, you know, certain things need to be done in this way, in this way, etc. Et and I suppose th- there's this element of respect because if one was to think about it, I mean, Queen Consort is changing this 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 role of ladies in waiting because it seems 
so ancient and, and she's looking for companions because automatically one thinks when somebody thinks of somebody as a companion, it gives that much more respect. Now, when you talk about respect, loyalty comes with respect. And in, in, within a companion, uh, you would expect them to be a, a more positive-minded and optimistic person. Someone who's genuine yeah. is very important, isn't it? I mean, mm. uh, um, someone who's likable, is warm, is caring, and is able to, to, to do all of these things because these are kind of very, very important to the role um, of someone who is going to be closely advising the Queen Consort, isn't it? Yeah, trust uh, truly, because um, you just were uh, talking about respecting as well. Respect is, is is the key point here because if we want to be respected, then respect you workers as well. Um, show them respect, even though if they are younger than you, or maybe older than you, or maybe less no uh, knowledgeable than you, still show them respect. If they do a mistake, remember the human beings; they are weak. They do mistakes. Forgive them for that. And help them as well. And one, you know, one side of respect is also, as we just discussed before, ask for advices as well. Ask them what we can do, how we can change certain things. And if someone is coming with an advice, respect that advice. And if that advice is suitable, then act upon that as well. So respect is a key, is, is, is very important as well in this in this regard as well. Um, you know, team, but a good team can only work the team is working together if the chemistry is right as well and as a leader you may you need to make sure that the chemistry is right that everyone is know everyone everyone is respecting everyone and everyone is looking after everyone as well and everyone is working together as well uh, and with everyone I basically mean the leader and those workers from different ranks that they come together and they work together as a team and this is how a team basically works but most important thing, the chemistry should be right and you should have respect for each other as well. And without that, you can... you. I mean, if you don't have any respect for anyone, if you just come show him hatred, he will show hatred. He will show you the uh, same thing as well. He will hate you as well. Uh, but if you, love, if, you say, if you show him respect, he will respect you as well. And this is important uh, in this fact as well. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he would like... He would respect even an advice of a youngster as well, knowing that he has more uh, knowledge about certain things. So this is important. You know, this is how a team basically works. If, if the chemistry is not right, you can't, you can't, I mean, you won't have any success. A true friend is one who sees fault, gives you advice, and who defends you in your absence. I mean, um, that's that's the, that you know, to, to put it in a nutshell, um, you know, uh, if 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 I'm looking to a companion, the other word for a companion would be a true friend, um, and uh, and a true friend is someone who knows, who sees when you're doing wrong. He will not um, hesitate in telling you you're doing wrong, and uh, he will support you um, in in correcting your shortcomings. Um, and uh, you know, a true friend will, as I said, advise you, but also. In, 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 unfortunately in the day and age we live people tend to have a habit of talking behind people's back mm. um, whereas a true friend will uh, stand up for you and they will defend you um, and uh, be loyal uh, to, to, to you um, and your friendship um, you're listening to The Breakfast Show with myself Kayum and Shai we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to go on to our second topic of 
the morning, which is all about agriculture. So do stay tuned. We're going to be speaking to some experts who will be shedding some uh, um, uh, some knowledgeable light um, on the subject matter. So um, do stay tuned, and uh, we'll be right back after these brief messages. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The unity of God is a light which illumines the heart only after the negation of all deities, whether they belong to the inner world or the outer world. It permeates every particle of man's being. How can this be acquired without the aid of God and his messenger? The duty of man is only to bring death upon his ego and turn his back to devilish pride. He should not boast of his having been reared in the cradle of knowledge, but should consider himself as if he were merely an ignorant person and occupy himself in supplications. Then the light of unity will descend upon him from God and will bestow new life upon him. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with Mazov Kayyum and Brother Shahil. On to the next topic of the morning. Um, can a 300-year-old museum be the key to feeding the world? What's this all about, Brother Shahil? So this is one of the hopes of scientists coming through 12,000 specimens of wheat and its relative health in the National History Museum's archives. So the most promising samples are having their Genomes, genomes, genomes sequenced in a bit of identified gen genetic secret of hardier wheat varieties. Now, climate change and pests and diseases are putting the the crop under pressure. Um, the old varieties of wheat are stored in hundreds of old cardboard files, neatly lined up, row open row, in the museum vault. Each one contains dried leaves, stems of ears of grain, and sometimes all three from centuries ago. You know, they're carefully labeled, many in beautiful copper plate handwriting, detailing exactly where and when they were found. It all provides useful information. They said the collection spans back to the nine, uh, to, back to the 700s, uh, seven, cent, 17th centuries, including a specimen that was collected on Captain Cook's first voyage to Australia, says Larissa Walton. Uh, the James Cook sample is a wild wheat plant. It looks spindly and grass-like, quite different from the varieties growing in fields today. But it's these differences that the team is interested in. Um, just for the benefit of the listener, um, Larissa Welton is uh, part of a team that's uh, digitizing the archive so it can be accessed online. All the things that, um, all the files that uh, Brother Shahil refers to, um, they are being digitized, and uh, Larissa Welton is part of that team um, who is digitizing this process so it, so everybody can access this information. Um, so what is uh, the agriculture um, finding? Um, the agriculture finding discussed in the article that scientists are studying uh, old varieties of wheat and its relatives in order to identify genetic traits that could make up the crop uh, more resistant um, to climate change and pests and disease. The hope is that uh, uh, this research could be used to improve modern wheat varieties and ensure their ability to withstand a changing environment. 
And the, the way the, the, the agriculture has changed um, is very significant over time. Um, and, you know, it, just like in every other industry, technology and science uh, has played a major role um, in, in the advancement of agriculture too. Um, and uh, within agriculture, technology and scientific knowledge has led to improvements in crop yields and the development of new methods and practices. The Green Revolution of the 1950s and the 60s, for example, has led to the development of new high-yielding crop varieties and the widespread adoption of modern farming techniques, such as the use of artificial fertilizers and pesticides. Um, but these changes have uh, also led to reduction in the diversity of crops and the loss of some varieties that may have had valuable traits, um, such as the ability to withstand extreme weather, um, weather uh, conditions or uh, pests. Um, so, the, so the question comes to mind, how is it different among different, different countries? Agriculture varies significantly among different countries due to a variety of factors, including climate, geography, culture, and economic factors. Some countries, such as those in the temperature regions of the, of the world, are able to grow a wide range of crops, while others, particularly those in the tropics, may have more limited options. Um, the countries that have more advanced infrastructure and technology for framing uh, farming can allow uh, to produce higher yields um, much more efficiently. And the type and the intensity of farming practices also vary um, among countries, where some are relying on industrial practices, um, on large-scale monoculture, use of pesticides and fertilizers, whereas others um, have more traditional and small-scale farming systems. Um, you know, His Holiness Hazim is a Muslim, the fifth caliph of the mm. Promised Messiah. Um, his speciality uh, is, uh, agriculture. Is, is is agriculture, um, and uh, you know we we had the opportunity to uh, to to get a clip um, where somebody asked mm. His Holiness um, about this. So let's go and listen to what His Holiness yes. had to say. Sure. My question is, how did you choose the field of agriculture, and what motivated you to become a workforce in the Gi? Oh, very difficult question. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, in my, uh, I just finished my third year of college, university. What are you studying? I'm majoring in biology to become a dentist, inshallah. It's a dentist, inshallah. You see, from the very childhood, I had a keen interest in agriculture. So I wanted to go into the field of agriculture, but unfortunately I could not. But later on, after graduating with economics, and my father also asked me that if possible, you can go to the university. And uh, one thing is simply that there I had better opportunity to get admission in, than any other university. That was the simplest way and because of my interest as well. So I got admission in uh, agriculture economics or in the field of cooperation and credit. So there you have to deal with farmers and all these things. So there are some courses with regards to practical agriculture, that is agronomy and arable farming. And uh, if you are outsider or you join the university after graduation, then you have to complete some deficiency courses. Since I knew agriculture and I had a keen interest 
from the very beginning i used to go with my father to our family farm so i did those deficiency courses with good results and I later on completed my degree in a cooperation and credit as well that was the the main thing which uh, caused me to go to the agricultural university and do agriculture second question is that what motivated me to become a vakfan zindagi from the very childhood i wanted to be vakfi zindagi because once i heard my father and one of my uncle talking that unfortunately very few family members of the promise al islam or going to join vakfi zindagi so that engraved in my heart but i didn't want that i do vakf without any qualification so when i joined agriculture university then at that time i promised that if i get good grades a grade then i will do work i prayed to allah taala that if you think that i am capable of doing work then please give me good grades you know as far as my own self is concerned i am nothing so i don't know how but fortunately i had a grade huh and when i had that grade i was obliged to apply for work for zindagi i wrote a letter to khalifa abdul masih salis that now since i have completed my msc degree and with good grades i want to do work and he accepted and later on he asked me to go to africa and that is the whole story right the sh- the shortcut of it there are so many other things but shortcut of it okay <laughs> well there we had uh, his holiness azam azam surah ahmed mirla strengthens and the fifth caliph of the promised messiah who's uh, explaining to one of his one of the one of the questioners one of the questioners uh, how um, he um uh, you know got into agriculture and how his passion for agriculture um and uh, how um, he went to africa and just just to uh, carry on from there the actually um the fourth caliph of the promised messiah hazrat mirza tahir ahmed may allah have mercy on his soul he was always very skeptical about the popular notion in ghana that weed could not grow in the country um and uh, he set up a committee of people in which included Uh, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has a Mr. Masoor Ahmed the 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 fifth caliph of the promised messiah um and they successfully grew um they experimented in the area and uh, they successfully grew wheat in Ghana mm. for 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 the first, first time, time. Wow. It's amazing and this information Historical. was passed uh, um and and it was it was called the Ghana wheat um and uh, um and it was also exhibited at the international trade fair in Accra Uh, which was witnessed by about a million people from all of Ghana uh, and abroad and this was a monumental achievement uh, and to show appreciation for this remarkable achievement the community 
uh, by the community, the Ghana Post uh, decided to release a commemorative postage stamp with a picture of the Ghana wheat on its uh, on it to mark uh, uh, the, the the jubilee year of of the caliphate. Um, and uh, you know, so so it is. Uh, you know, it's remarkable uh, that the the service yeah, um, that uh, that that His Holiness uh, provided within the agriculture field, and and proved how successful he was, and how successful he was in producing wheat in a in a country where they said it was not possible. Possible, and just uh, it's amazing. Sorry Let's go and talk to our first guest. Yes. Um, so, dear listeners, we have Simon Orford, who's a research assistant designing future wheat. Um, Simon Oswald is a research assistant at the John Inns Research Center. Simon's role in the Gem Plasm Research Unit is to maintain and distribute seed. His principal responsibility is towards derived material resource tools such as mapping and tiling populations. He carries out the role of designing future wheat breeder tool kit coordinator, which requires working closely with all the major UK wheat breeders along with academic partners to ensure research outcomes are tested widely for the introduction of novel germplasm to the UK wheat breeding pool. Simon Orford, good morning and peace and blessings of Allah be with you. Welcome to the week for sure. Good morning and uh, thanks for that introduction. That was a, a really spot on introduction for me. Thanks very much. Yeah, um, you're most welcome. Um, Simon, I'll just come straight to the first question um what is the gem plasm research unit and what it is what it is primary function yeah great so the gem plasm resources unit is um could be described a few ways uh, ultimately it's a it's a big fridge that has a lot of uh seed in it uh, we concentrate mostly on wheat barley uh, oats peas and beans and um we, we maintain the seed so that it has a, a long shelf life uh, but it's not just that. It's um, we call it germplasm because we want to make sure that people don't mistake it as a as, as a museum for putting seed in. The germplasm kind of leans towards meaning that we utilise it in a in a scientific way and in a way of uh, food production. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, how can germplasm contribute to a more sustainable agricultural environment? Yeah, great, good question. Yes, yeah. so. Um, if you think about, uh, so I'll start from the, the point, I, I will co- concentrate mostly on wheat. Mm. Um, wheat was, um, bec- became a crop for human consumption some 10,000 years ago, uh, started off life in the, the Fertile Crescent, okay. mm. when uh, three wild grasses came together, and, and that produces uh, what we recognize as wheat now, uh, bread wheat. Oh, and uh, So... What happened back then was, as soon as that, that happened in the Fertile Crescent, it then began to be moved around the world through natural evolution, but also through trading and, and movement of humans. And so um, the, we, the reason we, we maintain so many stocks is because any species is only as strong, really, as its, is its gene pool, so however many, the diversity that is, uh, is represented in it. Um, and so that's why with, with us we, we maintain as many stocks as we can because in those stocks are an awful lot of answers to modern uh, problems with agriculture. Um, the, the problems don't stay still, they're always moving. Uh, we we kind of, um, there's, there's never going to be one final answer. There's never, there's never one packet of seed that's going to be the ultimate uh, wheat that's going to feed the world. What we have to do is we have to maintain 
an awful lot of wheat that's going to be ready to offer help um, in any part of the world uh, to improve stability of its yield, uh, to fight pests and diseases, to fight basically to fight the environment. Actually, you know, the, the droughts and the heat stresses that that can uh, be uh, causing problems with food production these days. So um, yeah, so that's that's why we keep so much seed ready because all of them have little bits in them that that may help uh, the, the the future uh, varieties of, of food that we that we grow. Interesting. That's very interesting. Um, Simon, moving forward, um, what role can germplasm play in helping develop a more sustainable and greener agriculture? Ah, yeah, yes. Now, that's an interesting one because um, we had what we call the Green Revolution Mm -hmm. uh, with wheat production, and this happened back in the 1960s, 1970s, and this was where suddenly a huge spike in wheat yield occurred um, and it happened through mostly through breeding you know in and around the area of, of, of Mexico uh, in a in a in a uh, an establishment called Simit and uh, they developed very high yielding wheat that suddenly became much shorter than, than people had been used to and once you get shorter wheat you're able to put more weight on the on the year because it won't fall over and that was um, that was that was based on being able to throw as many chemicals at it as you want, as much water, as much fertilizer. This was what they thought the future was back in the 1960s, that, that you know science would be feeding the crop that we wanted with chemical and fertilizer and, and as much water as possible. Since then, um, kind of the goalposts have changed a bit. Things have, things have changed where we, we don't want to throw as much fertilizer as we as we want now. Uh, we, we and many many chemicals that would have been used back in 50 years ago are now are now banned. So we're turning to the genetics of wheat. Uh, the answers that wheat actually holds itself in its genes, rather than what we can throw at it to make it do what we want. So it's kind of that idea that that the genetic diversity holds the answers within certain areas um, and uh, that's that's where the germplasm stocks are, are really important and and where we're looking at ways that yeah getting you could say getting wheat to look after itself better so rather than spraying chemicals on it we're trying to under, understand how we can naturally protect itself and and because of that you uh, you need a lot of stocks from around the world where places of where, where different different um, species or different area, different lines of wheat have evolved naturally to produce their own defence mechanisms. So you can imagine if um, if we have say a land race wheat, this means a, a wheat that predates breeding. Um, if we have one from potentially from I know I've got some from Ethiopia, um, they're going to hold maybe heat stress and drought tolerance better than something that naturally grew in in the UK. So we're going to look at we look at those material and we try to understand what part of that wheat from Ethiopia is is responsible for its tolerance, and then what we need to do is we can't just move that straight to the UK and grow it. That's that's mm. not the answer. We have to try and understand where in the genes um, the the responsibility is, and then try to breed that into uh, the, for example, the UK crop. So that's why that's where the gene that's where the greener uh, approach comes from. 
Um, Simon, amazing. Um, thank you for being a part of this show today. I wish you all the best and I wish you a beautiful day ahead. Thank yeah, you. thanks very much for your time today. And uh, yeah, best wishes to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So, dear listeners, this was Simon Orford. And do you amazing what he just had and how the beginning of everything, like the beginning of weed came and what beneficial historical historical and what beneficial benefits we have from weed is is amazing i mean you know you think okay we with with all weed we know what it is we know why is it there but if you if you ask someone you know professional you came to know so many new things which you would never imagine and um because i I personally, I love history as well. And when he st- when he already started ten thousand years ago, that happened. You know, these three people came together. I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then everything where he explained what happened like sixty years ago in Mexico, etc. How it can help us as well. It is amazing what he just said. And um, it is also also very good to know more things and certain things as well about. For example, we just know, knew more. Beneficial thing about ag- agriculture as well now. Um, dear listeners, this was Simon Offord, a research, research assistant designing future wheat for, at the John Inst- Research Center. And, Kayum. Um, yes. You know. Okay, yeah. Sorry, yep. Yeah. No, 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 carry on. Oh, I, I was actually going to go and, and take it back to what what we were talking about earlier. I was just about to mention about... Go for it. No, no. No, I was just saying that um, coming back to the holiness, may Allah be salpa. Listening to that clip before, uh, it's very interesting as well. And he said a very nice way as well, funny way as well, that first he go to he went to economics then uh, yes. he st- but his father told him he, and it was his wish as well he started studying agriculture in Faisal at that time as well and basically all then this is the amazing thing all doing this only to serve the community and mankind because his wish from the beginning was this goes back to what you were saying earlier volunteering to volunteering to mankind yes. yeah and this is what you know this is a good example now we have because his, when he was a child, he listened to his father and uncle where they were talking that there are so many, so less people from uh, the uh, uh, family uh, tree of the problem side who are not like, uh, who haven't um, been presented themselves for serving the community and mankind. So he said, okay, I need to do that. And from that moment on, he said, I will study that. And from that, I will serve mankind. And this is what he did. He went to Africa. Mm. And as he just mentioned, being the first person to basically to... Um, become successfully and uh, by um, uh, he, he planted and planted nurtured wheat, wheat for there. the first time, first time in Ghana. Ghana wheat Ghana is wheat. is is uh, uh, is, is uh, the the wonders of Ghana wheat and is, this is all accreditation to His Holiness. Exactly, and this is you know the example we need to understand how you can serve mankind. Yes, the conclusion is that yeah, without without a doubt, and you know in in Abu Herrera, uh, he relates uh, that. Uh, that uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said whoever has land should cultivate it uh, himself or give it to his brothers, his brother gratis. Otherwise, he should keep it uncultivated. Um, this is part and parcel of uh, uh, the, 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 um, of the commentary in, in uh, Sahih Bukhari, which is the narrations of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings mm. of Allah be upon him. And 
And remember the time when uh, when you said, oh, Moses, surely uh, we will not remain content with one kind of food. Pray then to thy Lord for us so that he bring forth for us what the earth grows of its herbs and its cucumbers and its wheat and its lentils and its onions. He said, would you take it in exchange for that which is inferior, for that which is superior? Go down to sow down, go down to some town and there is you what you ask and they were smitten with abasement and destitution and they incurred the wrath of Allah that was because they rejected the signs of Allah and would kill the prophets unjustly that was because they rebelled and transgressed this is in the Holy Quran chapter 2 verse 62 um, the, and, the, and the key point here where it's talking about um, you know be content um, um, and you know with one kind of food and, and it's talking about bring forth for us of what the earth grows and of course um you know crop harvesting is the 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 the, the key here um also the promised messiah on whom be peace he actually received a revelation um it says o prophet feed the hungry and the distressed and uh, when he received this in the morning the promised messiah on whom Bibis uh, inquired about the food arrangements and ordered the doors of the langar, which is the, the, the kitchens, mm. to be opened for all and said, let anyone come and eat. And this, this and, and the reason um, I, I talk of this uh, uh, revelation is because it, it links up with the, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy is um, the, the, how all the caliphs after the promised Messiah have served the community and uh, and because uh, if you think about it, it says, "Oh, Prophet, feed the hungry and the distressed." What the caliphs have been doing that for for you know for from the from the from the beginning? Because if one looks at um, the service um, and, and the focal point, and and I always find this interesting, is that the first caliph, Hazrat Mirza Hakim Nuruddin, he was he was a he was a a, a known renowned scholar. Mm. Uh, not just in Islam, but in everything else. And he was also, he served um, people around him with his, uh, with his knowledge of of alternative medication. No, he did. Um, he 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 was a homeopath, and he was a herbalist. And the thing, the amazing thing is that talking about the second caliph, first caliph, first caliph. Uh, sorry, yeah, about the first caliph is that. Well, I just wanted to mention one incident of sure. that um, one day someone came and I said that my wife is pregnant and maybe she, uh, she today is, she's due today and uh, can you do something like can you give her some advice or what should we do and he gave him a date that uh, give it to her after the, ba- uh, the baby is born and let me know give me let, let me know in the end what happened so in the very that night time um, the baby was born, and the person said he gave it. A, uh, gave his wife the date as well, and she said, "He said, you know what? Um, it's night time. The caliph is might be sleeping, so don't disturb him. I will inform him tomorrow in the morning prayer." And then in the morning prayer, he came to the caliph and said, uh, "Yes, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, we have a son, we have a child." And the caliph said, "Good." You could sleep a healthy and uh, good. Uh, sleep. You had a good night, and good sleep as well. But for me, because you didn't inform me right straight after, I was awake the whole night and was praying for you. I know this is different from different matter, but 
the way he has handled the way he has looked after his companions as well is amazing as well i know this is out of topic but i just want to mention okay the first caliph but the first caliph he was known for his knowledge as well he was a homopot as well and um uh he would uh, the the way he would handle everything is amazing because when he when he he had like a small um office as well as a small let's say gp as well people would come and would ask him different advice etc and he would help everyone and amazing thing is that um people from you know even enemies his biggest enemies you know would come and he, even them he would serve as well he would treat them as well and sometimes he would not ask for money if, people, if someone is not uh, able to give some money he would treat them for free as well and uh, this is the way you know he has treated or the caliph always has treated his or their own people or people from different backgrounds as well thank you for that i'm talking about talk- i'm sorry well, I just no no no, no i i i can't i can't blame you because i'm 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 the ma- i i go off tangent more than anyone else does so i can't say anything to you for 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 going off tangent but talking about the service you know end of the day um the, the prophecy that came to to the promised messiah was all about uh, that that one how one can serve mm. um in this particular instance it was about feeding the hungry and the distressed and we as a community um if if one was to look at humanity first if one was to look at all the organizations the ladies organization the men's organization the youth organization we have been uh, doing food banks um, we have been doing um you know we 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 go out and feed the homeless for for decades for this a is long time, this is this is a tradition cleaning up the streets cleaning up the streets but to be specific on feeding the hungry for feed the homeless people you know that is something that has been it's not just um, something that happens in united kingdom every single country in the world where there is a community um which is 203 we're to, to you know 213 countries and free territories around the world the same activity um is carried out where the community gets together and they feed the hungry um and all of them uh, under the same principle of fulfilling this prophecy um of of uh, you know where um the the, the promised messiah talks about feeding the hungry and the distressed um and and you know if and if people are fully aware of this term langar langar means kitchens and the kitchens are opened to anyone mm. who comes to the kitchens and nobody will be refused food and uh, this is this is part and parcel of the traditions uh, and and the teachings of islam where you know no one should ever come to your front door and leave empty handed i i remember in in uh, you know in in uh, in in the younger days um, i i there was a there was a short time i lived in 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 pakistan and whenever there was a, a somebody who used to come to the front door asking for money or um to be honest very few asked for money most used to ask for for flour or for rice okay um because you know the, the, you know and and the 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 tradition always was i have i i never saw anybody ever leave empty handed there was always a cup of rice or a cup of flour or or some or uh, or something or the other that was always given to uh, to anybody who used to come to your front door and the teaching always was also and and that's not just one house i'm talking in the whole neighborhood or or, or traditions um, um across uh, 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 cultures 
where whenever people turn up to your front door and whenever somebody asks for something, make sure that uh, you don't break their heart and you let them leave empty-handed. Um, you know, it's it's part and parcel of giving. You know, the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he would, I mean, he he's someone who would never say no to anyone. And Hazrat Abu Huraira, one of his uh, close command, uh, companions, he would sit in the mosque waiting for the Prophet and would write down any sayings of the Prophet or any teachings, etc., or any advices. Uh, one day, uh, sometimes he would even get unconscious because um, he would wait and he would have nothing to eat, etc. And one day, the Prophet, he had he, he got milk from his neighbors and he, he called Abu Huraira, uh, to call his friends as well. So they were like a, a group of people then sitting together and would have milk. And the Prophet could use the milk for himself as well, but he didn't. He basically shared it with his companions. And he, and he, was, he was the last one who basically would drink from that cup. Wonderful. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue uh, with, the, with the topic um, of, uh, of agriculture. Do stay tuned. <laughs> You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show. Um, with myself, Kayum and brother Shahil, we are—we have been talking about uh, ladies in waiting, and we're talking about agriculture for for this hour. And we're going to be talking to our next guest in a minute. We're going to be talking to Nicola Cannon, who is the associate professor of agriculture at the Royal Agriculture University in Cirencester, specialising in agronomy. Um, and uh, Nicola is a associate, as I said, is an associate professor at the Royal Agriculture University. Good morning. Welcome. Assalamu and peace be on you, Nicola. Thank you. Good morning. Morning. Um, please, could you explain the term I've just used, agronomy? Yeah, so agronomy is basically the science of growing crops and how we interact with soil and the decisions we make to ensure that we produce good yields of crops and the right quality of food or energy crops that we require for the market. And the conflict in Ukraine has highlighted the fragility in our food chain. What steps can be undertaken to ensure we have a sustainable agriculture environment which can begin to alleviate problems both now and in the future? Yes, uh, I think the conflict in Ukraine is coupled with many factors together which have highlighted the fragility of the food system. So the first shock was really when we had COVID and people who lived in parts of the world where they relied on imports of food um, suddenly realised that you know this food wasn't going to come along because the supply chain had been broken. And then this has been further developed by the um, war in Ukraine, where Ukraine, which is one of the large exporters of wheat. So if you put Russia and Ukraine together, because they're both impacted by this war, they're responsible for about 18% of the international exports of wheat. And wheat 
is like the major crop in the world, the second most major crop. The, you said 18, yes? Yeah, 18. Now, so, I mean, I, I've heard this 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 this, uh, this stat before. So we're, so 18%, yes, of course, is significant. But where other? Where, where's the other bit? Where's the other 82% coming from? Well, that's, that's a very interesting question. So, for example, in the UK, we are both importers and exporters of wheat because we produce lots of wheat that's fed to livestock, but we import bread-making wheat, so it's of the quality to make the standard loaf of bread that we're all used to. So there's lots of trade that um, kind of doesn't... um, It's about balance, whereas countries like Egypt and Turkey and Bangladesh are all really reliant on importing wheat for their food security. And and something always comes to to, to to mind. All these countries who import wheat, is it because of economic restrictions or lack of know-how that they can't do it themselves, or is it climatic reasons why uh, they can't do it? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. A lot of it is climatic, and of course, climate change is impacting all of those countries I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Of course, yes. And um, also growing populations means there's greater demand for wheat. And then just the technology that's moving um, wheat on, access to inputs which enable um, high-yielding crops of wheat are fairly limited in some of these countries. And coupled with insecure water supply um, means that they're not so successful at producing wheat. Amazing, Nicola. Um, also, a warm welcome for me. Um, I just want to know that how safe are genetically genetically modified crops, and is well, there crops? Yeah. Sorry, crops. And is there a time in the future that we'll have crops which do not need to be GM? Um, so GM changed substantially over the last fifteen years. So when everyone got really scared of GM, and uh, particularly in the EU, um, it was when they were editing whole genes and putting new genes into crops, often from foreign organisms. But more recently, that technology has moved on a lot, and they are just editing tiny parts of the genome. And uh, they're using a new technology called CRISPR. And these are often mutations that naturally occur. So I think it's the other way around, that we're more likely to see genetically altered food but it won't be called GM um, and there's a lot of debate about it in Parliament and of course for many parts of the world having crops that are more resilient to um, extreme weather conditions maybe water logging um, or high temperatures and things like that will be an advantage to make sure that people can continue growing food in the changing climate climate it's a very very difficult question because we've got this massive mm. population growth as well um just was one last question um since we have left the european union uh what impact has it on the sustainable agriculture and food safety well a big impact because we've had to rewrite the legislation around this so for example the um, uk now has the environment act of 2020 has the Agriculture Act and both of these allow us to 
consider how we want to do this in um, the UK as opposed to what EU legislation has, uh, has set previously. And uh, that includes how we use um, genetically altered crops, whether we want to target environmentally safe production, which of course we do, how we view food security and which of those aspects are a priority within um, farming and growing systems and food supply chains. Amazing. Um, uh, Nicola, uh, thank you for uh, turning in and thank you for answering our questions. Uh, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So, dear listeners, we just listened to Nicola and Again, you know, it is amazing what agriculture can actually have an effect on us and what bad effect is actually had on us since we have left the EU. Yeah, I, I, know, well. I, I know, Brexit. Uh, Brexit is... I just wanted to highlight Brexit seems to, be, it seems to be everywhere, the effects of Brexit. But what I found interesting is um, is when Nicola talked about, you know, the, that there's so many countries around the world who are affected... By the world, by the by the climate, oh, the climate by the climate, and and you know it's again the topic of the the the, the this this uh, the topic of today, the topic of now, is the effect that climate is having on every single aspect of our lives. No, you're right. We should like this is something which is very uh, terrifying. Climate change is yes bringing so many disturbances in this world, and now we ha- even in the agriculture we see what impact. I, I, I was watching this this uh, little caption that was done on LinkedIn. I actually put it on my status on my WhatsApp where a dinosaur is entering the buildings in the United Nations, mm. and and is is addressing the people and is saying, "We were addressed. Uh, we were we were we we became in we became uh, extinct because." Of uh, um, because of a meteoroid, because you will be the first creatures uh, in history <laughs> to 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 be responsible for your own extinction. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, is true, isn't it? We, are, um, you know, a man is his own worst enemy. We are effectively destroying ourselves, making dinosaurs more intelligent than us. Even dinosaurs didn't dis- did destroy themselves. They, 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 they you know, they, they got destroyed. Yet we are actively, you know, making plans to 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 destroy the 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 beautiful earth and the universe, the earth given to us by God Almighty. Um, and His Holiness always says it is our responsibility to ensure that we leave this world in a better place than we. Uh, than, of course, than, than, I mean than, we have, you know, we have, we look for the benefit the of our children yeah. and the future generations. Of course, I mean, so sad. And they say that no animals are more intelligent than us. Today we have spoken about ladies in waiting and we have spoken about agriculture. I just want to thank all of our guests for taking time out and coming on to our show this morning. I want to thank Brother Shahil for joining me this morning. Thank you to Brother Zishan in tech, without who we wouldn't be able to operate. And thank you to our producer Arifa and to our researchers uh, Hania, Waki, Khafia and Barira. Um, Brother Valid and Imam Tokir and Imam Farid will be joining you tomorrow morning for breakfast show. Um, please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayer. Have a fantastic day. And until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.